Discussing Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today, we are here to discuss Season 3, Episode 4 of Star Trek Discovery, titled Forget Me Not. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts slash Trekkies, starting with none other than the Who story himself, Cal Jones. How you doing, man? Doing good. It's getting close to Thanksgiving, and this um, episode had a Thanksgiving feel in a certain way, so looking forward to talking about it, but yes, glad to be here. Yeah, man. Yeah, glad to have you, dude. And from the Red Room Studios in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, we have the Trek story. Jonathan Shorts, how you doing, man? I am doing great, man. Doing great. Excited to talk about this episode as well. Awesome. And also from the Red Room Studios, we have the Stargate story in Jeremy Barrow. How you doing, dude? I'm doing great, too. And I'm also looking forward to Thanksgiving. I could have Thanksgiving once a week if I could. <laughs> uh, with the fights and all, you know, you, you want it all? Yeah, well, I think that just, that's just part of Thanksgiving. That, that's a holiday <laughs> tradition. Oh, boy. Well, guys, you can support the show by subscribing, leaving a review or telling a friend. If you have a review idea, please send that along with anything else you want us to know to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all of the social medias. We're going to move right into our review of the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, Forget Me Not, which aired on November the 5th, 2020, directed by Hanel M. Culpepper who also directed season two's The Red Angel and Vaulting Ambition from season one. This episode was written by Alan B. McElroy, Chris Silvestri, and Anthony Aranville. Burnham and Adira visit the Trio homeworld while Saru's efforts on the discovery to help the crew reconnect yields surprises. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand the battle stations. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. And I'm going to throw to Cal Jones, as I have been doing as of late, to give us the, I don't know, give us the sum, sum up of the beats of the episode. Do you have something for us today, Cal? Yeah. So the best I can come up with off the top, because I don't, I, you know what, I have not tried to, um, plan these in advance because I want them to be real. So off the top of my head, I'm going to say interesting Thanksgiving shade feel at dinner. Everybody gets uh, the warm and fuzzy feeling at the end and a weird connection to Doctor Who. So there you go. Yeah, for a minute there, I thought you were going to go for haiku for real, man. I know I, I can't do haikus. Uh, but but yeah, let's uh, go ahead and get along with it and get the high level view of the episode from each of the pundits here on the on the panel. And we'll start with uh, Jonathan. What do you what are your high level views, man? Uh, so, as I said previous weeks, another awesome episode um, for me. I really enjoyed it because it, I felt I felt like I was watching just a classic trick series again. You know, usually these first few episodes and even previous seasons, it's always been like an hour-long feature-length film. Well, not hour-long feature-length, but you know what I mean. It's, yeah. it's like a movie. Yeah. And this time, it was like a good show. Like, I'd sit down, turn on DS9 or TNG, and watch an episode. Uh, so I, 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 maybe it brought my rating down a little bit. We'll get into it. But it was also a good change of pace for me. Yeah, man. Uh, speaking of ratings, man, many people, as I thumb through um, 
forums and Facebook and Reddit. A lot of people are saying this is their favorite uh, Discovery episode, period. A lot of people are. So, yeah, I find that interesting. But Jeremy, Jeremy, what about you, man? What is your high level view of this episode? So let me start out by saying I did like the episode, but it's like with with all the Star Trek series, you know, you have the peaks and valleys. And I feel like we're kind of going into a valley after coming off a peak. Hmm. So, and there were some interesting moments in this episode, but it, it, to me, it wasn't the strongest episode we've seen so far. Like, it, I just hope this episode is building up to something, if that makes any sense. Cal Jones, what do you think, man? So, I'm going to expand a little bit on what Jeremy says. I agree that this did have a feeling of not quite as much as what we've seen so far. That said, I would totally agree with you if. We still had 22 episodes a season. Since we only have, I'm going to assume, 13 or however, 14, 16, however many we have, since there's a smaller number. While I do agree that it did slow down a bit, I think everything that happens is happening for a reason. And I know I've said that before, but I'm going to stick to it. I still say it's happening for a reason. And I agree with Kyle on that. You know, it's just... You know, it's it's getting there. I think that's, you know, my I don't want to say my patience is wearing thin, but, you know, I just I want to know why we're going through all this. I, I think mean, this was more key to. So me being a DS9 fan, I got a lot of enjoyment from it just because it was focused on one race of people that are they're focused on a lot in DS9. So I probably got a lot more enjoyment out of it than some who really hadn't gotten that deep into DS9. For for me, I I think this episode was needed. And I say that because too many times in different shows, things happen that are very life-changing and it's just brushed over in the next non-serialized episode. So with that in this episode, they're taking this whole or- ordeal they've been through very seriously taking a moment to reflect and see how that affects the crew on one hand. In other hand, we have, you know, this interesting story of this new crew member we picked up, Adara, and seeing what what interesting things they have for us to move to further along the series. So I guess I do agree with you in some senses that it's a stepping stone, but I, 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 I still feel there is a bunch of interesting things along the way that make this a pretty pretty good episode and again dealing with some very serious issues uh for the crew some implications of what they've been through so i i I really enjoyed all that hey without this stepping stone you'd be all muddy (laughs) Uh, or you know you wouldn't know where to go you know i guess good point Again, like I said, this episode deals with some very heavy issues in Discovery's new reality. So I guess I'll I'll point this to Cal. What what did you think of Colbert's initial monologue and also the tone he set for at least the discovery side of this episode? You know, I think it was needed. Um, I I like that he's doing something else other than being Stamets' partner, you know, or him just being the, you know, he's being more of a doctor and in a way showing that, yes, you can go around and you can 
see that there's physically nothing wrong with everyone. But I thought that that was a very good writing thing that they did to show there's emotional stress that can affect people. And there's, you know, these people, for all intents and purposes, we hit it on this last week. Everything they've left behind is behind. There's, as far as we know, no going back. So there's going to be ramifications. And I think he played that, excuse me, I think he played that role well. I think it was needed for the story, but I think it was also needed, again, for his character. So I really like that. Yeah, yeah, I, I too kind of felt like this will, was uh, Wilson Cruz's episode for this season. He got to be an integral part of the happenings of the ship, and I thought he did an excellent job um, as far as how he played the role in this episode. What about you, uh, John or Jeremy? Any thoughts on this initial monologue and the tone that was set in the beginning of the episode? Uh, so I really just I completely agree with Kyle here. I, I was glad to hear that monologue. Um, and I'm, I'm a big fan of monologues going into an episode. It, it kind of brings you into the story a little deeper, in my opinion. So I was glad to hear that to start with. And uh, again, I agree with Kyle. Like it added another layer to Cobra that I think was very much needed. Awesome. So I'm going to skip a little ahead. And this is dealing with Cobra again, but I want to ask Jeremy. So although we start with this very heavy feel, Colbert kind of gives us an out when he talks to Burnham. He mentions something, and and I've never heard of this statement, maybe because I just am not brushed up on mental issues enough. But there's something called post-dramatic growth. And he kind of used Burnham as the example of that, of her how she's succeeded in the last year, although she had a very traumatic experience. So any any thoughts on his conversation that would burn him about that growth? And do you think we'll see something similar in the crew? I, I, I'm like you, know, I'd never heard that phrasing. Um, but I have seen people use their past, you know, traumatic events to make them stronger people. So I, I appreciate bringing that up to the front, to the forefront, because it's definitely possible. Um, and I think, and I think it's going to, you, that you know, kind of frames. I want to. I want to think it frames the rest of the series, and that you know they have to grow from this. Yeah, I totally get what you're saying, man. I, they're kind of they, in a way, they don't have a choice. Everything's different now. Yeah, everything's different, and they have to deal with it. Yeah, and and it's you hear those success stories of where people have been through something and they come out of it not even the person they were, but they are a different person, but they're like a better person, you know. So I, I do love how they kind of made that analogy there with this post-traumatic growth and maybe that the crew will come out being better after all of these experiences they've been through. He also mentions that Burnham was his responsibility hoarder, which is totally true. I know people like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so let me add this real quick. While you guys were talking, I actually looked this up and it. I think this is just totally el- in line with what you guys just said. It says that people develop new understandings of themselves, the world they live in, how they relate to other people, the kind of future they might have, and a better understanding of how to live life. Oh, wow. That's deep, yo. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks for looking that up for us, Cal. You're very welcome. Very insightful. Very insightful. Colbert has been like the 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 counselor for the ship in this situation for all intents and purposes 
And he also goes to Saru and he has a talk to Saru about the overall stress of the crew. You know, they're in great physical condition, but, you know, mentally it's starting to wear on them. Uh, sending Saru off on his whole journey to try to man- manage the mental state of the crew. They are not connected is what I think Colbert says. So, so Saru confronts the computer for ways to foster a connection among the crew. And the computer as the computer is like giving Saru suggestions. We see a phase happen over one of the computer screens and all of a sudden the computer personality changes. Anybody have any ideas of what's going on with this computer uh, when Saru's having a conversation and it changes voices? And at the end, it even suggests a movie from the long ago. So what does that tie in anything we've seen in Star Trek Discovery? If, if I may. You previous may. to season previous to season two, there were a series of short treks, including the episode called Calypso, which was set a couple hundred years in the future, which the present computer kind of morphed into. Yes. Yes. And totally didn't get that. Wow. Is this wow? Really? I know, I know. Well, I was well, I, I, I was I thinking on that. something else. Like to me, that was like I thought that was like purposely put there to remind us of Calypso. Yeah, even 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 voiced by Annabelle Wallace was the other voice right. that we heard who voiced the Zora and Calypso. And also the other reference when we get to the very end of the episode. And even when she's talking to Saru, she suggests these old movies from, you know, the, the uh, 20th century. And, and that's kind of what um, uh, I can't remember his name in the in the short trick. But that's kind of what he was suggest suggested to watch. You know, he even watches does a dance to the old movie Funny Face in that short trick. So, yeah, yeah, this is a de- direct reference to maybe uh, the Discovery computer is going to be different going forward, which I loved all of that. So let me throw this in. And I've read this a couple of times in the past few episodes. Uh, so you remember the second episode of this season when we were on the planet and we had the guy what was his name Zaire Zaria and he ref- the, the 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 pirate basically yeah, yeah 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 so he referred to Saru as uh Vagarish captain hmm uh so what here's what we have learned and I'm I don't I'm gonna read this because I don't want to sum it up and screw it up uh in Calypso, Calypso, in the short track Calypso, they introduced Alcart, Alcart Four, and uh, Vardres, or however you say that. Um, so that craft that the guy on Calypso, what was his name? Yeah, Aldous Hodge Craft. You're right. Yeah, correct. Okay, so he was found in this escape pod, which was a Vardres escape pod, which looked very similar to the shuttle, the shuttlecraft from Discovery. Um, he also was coming from a planet called Alcor 4 in Calypso. Uh, so they're pretty much tying this in. The Vajresh is being referred to as Starfleet. So anyway, what, what it's saying, they interviewed one of the showrunners, and he did say that Vajresh was a, was synonymous with Starfleet in Discovery. Hmm. So obviously the Vajresh was at war or in a fight with whoever this is on Alcor four. And that's where the uh, craft came from. Like he was escaping that fight. 
And he somehow ended up there. And so Discovery took him in. Now, supposedly Discovery, the computer on Discovery at that time says she's been adrift for a thousand years, which is the only disconnect from that. But it also could be just her way of, you know, hiding facts from it. Maybe she was told to do that one way or another. The computer lies. It does. (laughs) And it, it says so in the note in this little article I read is gives some examples of when she did lie in that particular short trick. Interesting. Interesting. You know, I had a line here that said theories question mark. <laughs> I think you hit it on the head. Now, I also, I kind of want to say the discovery, the ship itself is still want to go back. I, I, I kind of want to hold true to my theory on that. Um, but I don't know if she could have just been lying. Zora could have just been lying. Yeah, never know. But I love all the tie-ins, man. I think that's awesome. And to see Zora's um, come into being and and how it's going to affect the ship could be pretty interesting. Now, I'm going to throw real quick to our friend Eric Hetherington. And he pointed out that there's some poignant parallels between um, Zora protecting the Discovery and the symbiote protecting Adira. So I thought that was pretty cool as well to have that kind of parallel in the episode. But let's go a little further here and go ahead and talk about this Thanksgiving dinner with mostly the bridge crew. But let's talk about this Thanksgiving dinner. Is is this what your family Thanksgiving dinners look like, uh, Cal Jones? Not previously, but maybe this year. <laughs> Don't talk I'm just saying, but in general, but but not previously. Religion and politics, man. Religion and politics. Exactly. <laughs> well, let me ask you, Cal, any further thoughts on this um, harvest dinner that Saru presented to the crew to try to get them to stay connected? I think it was the centerpiece to me, no pun intended, of the entire episode. I enjoyed this more than I enjoyed the trail, the the things, the revelations. I mean, the other was good, but being a fan of this cast and the characters that are on the ship, I think it was a very much needed growth opportunity. So you had to have the saltiness and the um, throwing of shade or whatever you want to call it that we saw in the beginning to have some of the character moments you had at the end. So for me, this part of the story was my favorite part. Yeah. Um, I'm going to throw it to you, Jeremy and John, but real quick, uh, again, like I was emailing with our friend Eric and uh, I responded back to him because we were talking about this particular part of the episode. And I I was like, yes, they definitely had their Thanksgiving dinner or harvest really good and timely, though kind of sad since we won't be able to do the same due to COVID. At least most people want. Um, it also solidified that the crew are becoming a family. Detmer and Awasakan are sisters. Bryce and Reese are brothers. Saru is a father figure. Tilly is the oddball in the family. And Stamets and Colbert are the cultured but sometimes mean uncles. While Giorgio is the crazy auntie. So, John, <laughs> Jeremy, do you have any thoughts on this scene? Um, I agree with Kyle. I think it's probably the one of the better scenes in the uh, in the show in this episode, and it kind of highlighted. I guess I want to, I don't want to say it like this, but almost Saru's first failure as a captain to mend what he was trying to mend and not being able to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was really, as far as his captaincy is concerned, growth for him. But um, 
It's kind of it's kind of cathartic for every for everybody involved. They finally got some stuff off their chest they've been holding on, especially Detmer, who probably has suffered the most, um, arguably, I would say. Yeah, I mean, it was a really good it was a much needed scene, a much needed moment for everybody just to kind of let their head out and tell tell Stamus what they thought. I do agree with you that it was a failure, but I don't think that it wound up being a failure. It was a failure in, in his intent. But I don't right. think it wound up being a failure, but it was still a failure. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. And when I think of when I think of who Saru is and the type of mentality he portrays, he portrays like a Vulcan like mentality in a lot of ways. He's very by the book. And it's just crazy. Like when he meets his first problem, that's not really physical, but is more emotional. It's not something he can just, you know, assign a regimen to fix or, you know, it, it's it's more in the psyche of the, the crew and he runs up against his problem because, you know, to me, his thinking is more Vulcan than anything else. And Vulcan don't really display emotion. So yeah, I loved all that. So here's, uh, and, and you guys, I mean, obviously you, you kind of think this is not a great moment until we get toward the end and you realize why it was so gr- such a great moment. But in that moment, watching this and kudos to the writers for doing this for me, uh, when the, if you want to call chaos, ensued at the dinner table, I was hoping for a strong captain moment from Saru, and I was expecting the writers to kind of make this that moment where he kind of, I don't want to say exert himself, but like he kind of takes charge and like forcibly mends the crew. And it's kind of what we we would have expected, say, if Janeway was sitting at the end of that table or Cisco or even Archer, you know what I mean? They wouldn't have sit idly by like they would have through some great speech more than likely fixed this issue then and there. And they would have grown as a captain. And also the crew would have earned, they would have had more respect for him in that moment. So in that moment, I was thinking, man, this is where Saru is going to shine. And he didn't. He just sit there. And I was like, that sucks. Like, this was his moment. But as we go through the the show and we get toward the end, we realize the over. So I guess I was more or less looking for an improvement in Saru, but we got an improvement for everybody. And I think that was, I say kudos to the writers, because that was something I was not expecting. And it actually turned out better for it. Yeah. Yeah. They make the statement in the episode that and it may have been Saru said this, like if we die tomorrow or today, nobody would know that we ever existed, you know, because of where they are in the future. And to me, that was an important point. And I really didn't. Again, like this is not like a mathematical problem. It's not something that Saru can just say some inspiring words and it all be over. It's something that's going to take time and talking and. Um, and maybe Kyle can speak to this. It reminded me a lot of a Doctor Who episode called Can You Hear Me? Where um, the main companion has been off gallivanting the universe, but they have friends in their family that have been going through some things, but they weren't around to, to just talk to them, you know? And and to me, it's just going to it's just going to take time, especially for the people who are affected more like Dedmer um, to just. uh be able to deal with the situation that's going on. It's just going to take time. And uh, I don't know. I, I thought it was a good, the episode was a good display of 
when something happens in your life, you can't, it, it, it's oftentimes not just going to be solved overnight. You know, you're going to talk to people. You don't have to trust in people. And to me, that's kind of what this episode was saying. Yep. You know, the only thing I would add to that is, you know, just like let's take any episode that the four of us have reviewed. We watch the exact same thing, but every one of us has a different takeaway, different opinion, different like, keep on going, filling in the blank. Same thing with how a if these were real people, they would react. So I, I think they allowed people to react and some of them reacted differently. I think that's the beauty of this entire storyline part of this story. So that's the only thing I'd add. Yeah, and also gave us opportunity to to come a bit more intimate with the crew. And I'm I'm always down for that. Even though I don't understand haikus. Um, I think limerits are better, but hey, at least the wine was good. All right. <laughs> we All right, were, Giorgio. <laughs> we were we'll move on a little bit. And um so another important part of the episode before we get into Trioville, uh shout shout out to Tasha Pierce uh for her YouTube video on Trioville. <laughs> But let's get into a little bit of Saru, which this this part episode came off cold to me, but Saru had a very good point. So Saru introduced the idea of an alternate form of navigating the sport drive, mainly because Stamets, you know, almost bit the dust in the last encounter. So what do you guys think about replacing Stamets as the navigator of the sport drive? And maybe just talk about this scene and I have some actually some theories on um, maybe the solution that they're going to try going to try to come up with. But but any thoughts on this whole scene where Stamets uh, is kind of taken aback when Saru tells him, you know, we need a replacement for the sport drive navigator. Any thoughts? I think this is how Discovery ends up in the Calypso. (laughs) 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 I mean, really, and the first suggestion thrown out is Tilly saying, well, let's uh, let's try to do it with dark matter. And listen, we as sci-fi geeks know anytime you throw dark matter into anything, there is going to be a disaster. Yeah. And I, just starting with that idea told me that this is not going to end well. Um, and I really think, I mean, Stamets is connected to this, like not just physically anymore. Like I think he's mentally connected to this and like, I think that's what makes it work. I think anything else, unless you actually have a tardigrade there, is not going to work well. Yeah. He sees that mm-hmm. as a point of pride now. Yeah. And see, therein lies, uh, you, you said it perfectly. And what, what do they say about pride? Pride comes before the fall. And I think that was Saru's way of saying, you know, yes, you're important to us, but what if something happened to you? And keep your ego in check. You are important, but you don't get a God complex. And kudos to Saru for realizing and facing that problem now. Like that, I'm just putting myself in a captain's position. Like I wouldn't, I, I would be hesitant to have that conversation just because I know how Stamets probably feels about it. But I mean, and it's something I never thought about. Like this is your only form of long range travel and you only it, it, you only have one thing that you count on to do it. What ha- what happens if something happens to Stamets? Yeah. Like what do you do then? Like it takes a good captain thinking ahead 
and putting scenarios in place that can allow on the backup plan. Like kudos to Saru for doing that, especially being a new captain. You know, that's a decision you expect from a seasoned captain. Yeah. So I have some theories here. <laughs> and I'm probably wrong, but it just has been running through my head. So I'll present it to the crew real quick. So we know that before that our lithium went boom, they were experimenting on alternate forms of warp capable travel, right? We know that for a fact, right? Right. We also know that for some reason, Adira has a connection with the inner workings of this thousand year old Starfleet ship, right? Right. She like went in the sport chamber like she knew what was going on to some extent, to some extent. So, and and, and we know the Trill only live about 500 some odd years is what I pulled up and read. I don't know how true that is currently, but that's what I read. So if Trill only live like 500, 600 years, like how does she know what a discovery, what the inner workers of discovery are? I mean, why would she know that? So go ahead. Well, I mean, you're right, but it could have been just we don't know a lot about her previous host yet. Yeah, but still, it's a 500 year gap before before the discovery was even a ship. You know, I would imagine that things had changed a lot by then. Maybe not. I don't know. But I don't know. Well, not necessarily that Trill only lived 500 years. Is that did they say that? Like the the symbiote only lives 500 years? I I looked that up. I looked that up. I don't know how true it is. But that's what I looked up. Hmm. So if that's true, how does she know about how discovery works? I don't. I mean, so we know Starfleet experimented with this in the original discovery timeline, which means there are more people involved that didn't go with them into the future. Yeah. So that knowledge was passed down, passed on. I mean, I would assume that one of her previous hosts had that knowledge whether they did anything with it or not. Yeah. So, so here's my theory, like maybe possibly when, um, the Dalithium with boom, maybe discover, well, not discovery, but maybe Starfleet was experimenting with some technology they found from the past <laughs> and trying to make mm-hmm. it work much like the, um, what's the sister ship from discovery that got when they blew up. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. That's that. a stretch. That's a stretch, but I think maybe they were experimenting with, trying to recreate the spore drive or something. That's just my hmm. guess, but I could be pulling straws there. <laughs> we'll see. So let's move right along and get into Trillville, AKA, AKA the Trill home world. Uh, hot in here. <laughs> <laughs> so Adira has no memory of who they were before waking up in an escape pod a year ago. So this is just a year ago. Um, can speak several languages. Uh, excellent grasp of Discovery's 2250s engineering grid. Okay. And also good, can cook a mean Bajoran Hasperat. What are your initial ideas on Adira's journey to find out more about their squid? Jeremy, thoughts? So let me just say, yeah, I'm going to just go ahead and say it because it's going to become a factor later on in the season. This character just really gets on my nerves. <laughs> really? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't have a good reason for it. I just don't like her. Because it reminds you of Esri, I'm telling you. <laughs> you know, I like Esri. I've got a dog named Esri. <laughs> I just, just this character just, just grates my nerves, and I, and I can't put my finger on it right now. Hmm. So pretty much anytime she's in the scene, I'm like, ugh. 
I just get through it. Go to someone else. <laughs> I thought the deer was at, was acting her tail off. <laughs> That's what I thought. I thought she did an excellent job. Cal, uh, like you want to say something there? No, I mean, I, I did not like this scene or this story as well as I liked the other, but not for the fact that I didn't like the characters. I did, I will say, find it interesting. Like I said earlier, there was a semi-Doctor Who-ish feeling from the story that I really liked. But I thought it was a, you know, a good story. I don't have any problem with the characters per se. Um, and I have no problem saying if I don't like someone or don't like a character, but, um, yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. So John, I'll, I'll throw to you and I'll also ask, um, as you answer this question, thoughts on the, the trim, the trill homeworld as well and the current state of the trill population. Um, so I'm going to kind of go along the lines with Kyle. Like I, I really didn't have an issue with that particular scene, uh, and Adira, uh, like we don't really get much from much as far as the storyline goes until we get to drill. Like everything we go through to this point, we found out on the previous episode. So it was just a build up for the trill scene, the trill homeworld scene. Now, as far as trill, the planet of trill, uh, shocking man, very shocking. Like you would think that the trill species would have been the one. Like if you ask me who were to, who were to survive <laughs> uh, and flourish during these times, I would say Vulcans and Trills. Yeah. And to find out that their population has been decimated is shocking. And I'm I'm kind of like I get it. Like the couple of them that were like just really freaked out that this is going to end us. Like I get it. Like you could each symbiont can have five six hundred years of experience and memories. And yeah. for those to just be lost and multiple symbionts being lost, like that could devastate a civilization. That's just like humans losing all history. Like, yeah. what if we just lost track of all history, all writings, all recordings of all of our history? Like, you wouldn't think it would devastate you, but it would, and especially trials, because that's what they base their culture off of, their symbiotic relationship. Yeah. So that, that, that kind of. Hey God, man, something else that um, was brought up and I knew, but I kind of just never just kind of glazed over it. And you have to understand that on the trio home world, there are actually two species living there, which is why they say a symbiotic relationship. The the symbiont is, is an actual sentient species and it chooses to live its life aligned with the trio species. So we're really talking about two species has been being decimated at the time, which is just overwhelming to think about. And I mean, it's the Federation. This is when species should be thriving and yeah. they're about to lose it all. Yeah, it's 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 kind of weird because, like you said, there's two different, really two different species, but they're kind of one. So I went back and watched the, <laughs> the episode from DS9 Equilibrium when when Dax was having the issue with her symbiote. And and we see in the episode where these um these trill that we meet on the planet, they are so against a human having a symbiont. And if I guess if you kind of remember what happens in DS9, you know that it's everybody doesn't just get a symbiont like the symbiont uh, is conservatory. I forgot what it's called, but but that group 
they like put people through Hades to try to, to become a symbiote. So you yeah. have that right off. Every trill doesn't get a symbiote. Um, so yeah, they're selective with it already. And then they're having yeah. their population of possible people to receive symbiotes, um, you know, pretty much destroyed. And, and even with that, every joining is not, is doesn't always go well, you know? So I agree with you, John. It took me a minute to remember that, you know, the, the symbiotes live in the pools by themselves. I don't know how long they can live there by themselves before they have to be joined. Um, and then you lose all that history of the people out there that already have symbiotes and they can't transfer it to a new host. So yes, it's, it's pretty devastating for their culture, but that being said, you have this human here that is seemingly okay with the simulate symbiote. You know, we have, um, yeah, the Riker episode where, um, he, he hosted the symbiote for a little while, but it didn't take, well, I guess he was just hosting it till they got to a certain point where they can, he can hand it off. But, but yeah, we, we see where the humans are now this new possible viable candidate for, for a symbiote. And I mean, do you think they were trying to give us any underlying messages there with, I don't know, uh, in, in the greater world for that? I don't, I don't think I, I looked at it as kind of, I think the reason and I kind of went back and read up on the Riker episode as well. So the biggest problem with the Riker and the reason why he was rejecting it was his immune system was fighting it as your immune system does to foreign, foreign things in your body. Yeah. I think the same thing happened would happen in this current time period, except for the fact now medicine and medical technology can fix that immune problem yeah so yeah. we'll see and i won't jump ahead but you see how how she ends up adira ends up with this symbiote and it's not doctors that does it it's computers and machines so yeah. that was very star wars ish uh yeah Padme. It, <laughs> <laughs> it was cool though i like seeing the medical droids or whatever you call them that was but awesome. the underlying message could be i mean and I've never, again, never would have guessed this from Trill. And I guess after what they've gone through, you could be that way. But, like, you're going to have to be more accepting of other other cultures in your culture. Yeah. Like, I, I think maybe they could have saved their world if they would have even given consideration. Yeah. Yeah, consideration to another species being joined. But they they did to their defense they did say they tried it before and it didn't work. And who knows how long ago that was? Um, but yeah, I, I just find all that interesting. It's almost like you cut off your nose to spite your face moment type right. of thing. Yeah, I think I, I think you just hit it because it it goes back to yes, you may have tried it before, but did you try it with a mindset of I want this to work, or were you trying it with the mindset of okay, well. This is how we do it, but we're going to try this and we hope it doesn't work because yeah. this is how we do it. Because this is our ideas. We don't want the right. story, you know. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, good stuff. I loved all that. Great stuff. I love the look of Trill as well. I thought it was quite beautiful <laughs> with the flying yes. fish thingy and everything. I thought that was great. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna go to the to the uh Macala caves in a second. But I want to talk real quick about this new dirtier as as John says, grittier Bur- Michael Burnham. What? She just shoots the troll people? What the I loved it. <laughs> What's going on there? Like, but could you have imagined if Colbert had gone down with her? They'd have mm. both been dead by now. 
Yeah, with the pitchfork like, thingies. <laughs> yeah, if Burnham hadn't had that growth and that edge to her, this wouldn't have happened. Like this episode would have been crap. Like she would have died there. Yeah, her in a deer. So that was awesome. Like, and it was what surprised me. Burnham had no thought about it. Like there was no Starfleet thought. They shoot first, then I respond. She was just like, "Oh, threat, kill him, good, go." Yeah. Like, that yeah, that was crazy. That was badass, for real. But kind of scary at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So we get the one sympathetic trio, Guardian Z. Uh, let's adhere into the sacred pools and the caves of Makala. Then episodes goes into a storytelling mode that I freaking despise. And that's being inside someone else's head. But here, I feel like it kind of worked. So, Jeremy, I know you really didn't like this part of the storyline, but I'm going to throw to you. Um, how do we feel like this played out with being in Adira's head and um, any thoughts on this whole sequence of of how we get this story told to us that that's happened, I guess, a year ago? I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly about going in someone's head. I just really just can't stand it. And this kind of just kind of stuck with that. <laughs> yeah. I think about memories, they can be so muddied. So this may not have actually happened the way, and it, you know, it may have caused the writing, but it may not have actually happened the way she's remembering it. Because we don't always remember exactly how something happened. Um, I just wasn't, I just wasn't a fan of the whole thing, just the whole trill storyline. Really? Yeah. I mean, I like you know when Michael was shooting everybody. That was that was fun, but <laughs> oh come just, on, man! <laughs> I just felt like this slowed down everything. It was, so I will agree. It was, it, it did linger on. That's my only gripe for the episode. That part lingered on probably a minute or two too long where, whereas I really feel like you didn't really need Michael to coerce her into letting these strands attach to get these memories. I, I, you know, I see why they did it, but to me that, that, is the they part had to give her something to do this episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but she could have just asked. I mean, they didn't have to have her be in her memories too. But you know, they're going to try to connect Burnham to everything, which you know, right. I, it just it just went on. I was fine with it. It just went on a little too long. Yeah, but see, if they had not have done that, you guys could not have had the conversation you've been having for the last three episodes. <laughs> uh, is Michael going to get? You know, is Burnham going to get the trail? Yeah, I was <laughs> right. By the way. I was right, by the way. <laughs> so far. So far. So far. Yeah, yeah. So far. So far. But I think, you know, well, I'm throwing to John. Like, what do you think about that scene of seeing what happens? And I think, think this may have been one of the better explanations we got of how trills work. Of course, we've got a pretty good explanation in TNG and DS9. But but what do you think about how, it's, how it played out of how this character that she loved in gray changed, but was still the same person. It's kind of, you're fighting those two halves. And I think we see Worf kind of deal with that a little bit when he's with Jazia, but yeah. any thoughts? Uh, no. And I mean, I was, it, it went right along. So I'm, I'm going through DS9 around when Ezri ends up with the Dax symbiote. So we're kind of, it's, it's a lot of story built around, you know, how Worf is reacting to Ezri when he was married to Jadzia, but it's still both the Dax. So we're getting a lot into, like, how do you... I mean, even Julian Bashir and Quark, you know, they're trying to figure out their way around Ezri. Like, 
Yeah. Is it the same Dax? Is it Jadzia still? Or was I in love with Dax? Or was I in love with Jadzia? Can I be in love with Ezri? Is it different? I mean, even Ezri is kind of fighting that with herself. Like, she's trying to figure out where does she start and the symbiont stops or vice versa. Yeah. So it, it's a battle within the join, the the symbiont and the host. Like, that's a constant battle, which is why the symbiosis committee is so picky about who gets the who who gets the symbiont because if they are not mentally strong enough to accept that it's a combination and not a separate thing then it it just doesn't work so all that to say i i, I really liked and what was adira's partner's name great tall great tall yeah great tall i think did a great job with this symbiont and kind of separating it. Like I kind of, that little scene we had when he, when Grace Hall was playing the cello, I kind of expected that to go sideways. Like, like yeah. Adira was going to say, now she did say you're different. And, you know, it's kind of, I was like, oh man, here we go. He's going to be like, you know, I feel like <laughs> a new person. I'm not yeah. really into you anymore, but it worked out like Grace Hall, like felt, he 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 accepted that he was different, but also that it was the same, yeah. and that he, the normal life could keep going. So, and I think that was just that worked out great from what I know from DS Nine. Like it, it I I would have been upset if they didn't play that the same way. Yeah, I, I think Gray did a wonderful job of making Adira comfortable with the change, right. knowing that that uh, Gray knowing that he he was different, but you know still the same. You know that's hard to square. Uh, so we get this scene, you know, I think what I found interesting about this scene is they were on a generation ship. We didn't get really much explanation on what, you know, where the ship was going or anything about the ship. And then, you know, they have that big explosion, but right. Kyle, but Kyle, I want to, I want to throw to you to maybe talk a little bit about this circle, which I thought was just a, probably my favorite part of the episode, this freaking circle where we see all of these different talls in one place and then maybe if you can talk about how Adira changes once she comes out of the pool. You know, it's it's similar in story. I keep re- referencing Doctor Who here. But when the Doctor regenerates, every time you have a post-regeneration story, you go through this period of transition where the Doctor is still trying to find themselves and connect with who they are as a person, but also connect with the person that they have been for 2000 plus years. That being said, similar concept here where this individual is confronted by this other set of individuals that in a way you see this person embrace And then, of course, at the end, we see how with the music playing of the, you know, musical instrument, she, the character has embraced that part. So you've taken on individual aspects of the whole. I love it because it reminded me of Doctor Who, but I think it was well done. I'll go back to what I think it was uh, Jeremy. No, it may have been Jonathan that said earlier or Clarence, it may have been you. Somebody said that we really didn't need Burnham there to say, you know, let the lights connect to you. I 
think you could have easily have had that scene without her. But regardless, I I really enjoyed that. Yeah, man. Uh, somebody I read somewhere somebody left a comment. Wow, Trills are very basically Star Trek's version of Doctor Who of of Gallifreyan. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I oh it was so good to be in that circle and see the different versions of Tall throughout the years. I thought there's this a beautiful you know visual representation. We've seen similar things on Doctor Who, like you're saying, and. For me, more importantly, when Adira emerges from that pool, uh, and I forget the actor's name, but Adira's cadence changed just a little bit to where instead of being that uh, snivelly little teenager kind of character, she came out with well, the character came out with confidence, came out with confidence, you know, stood tall, as she said, all her well, pun intended, stood tall as she said all of her names over the years. And I just thought that was a wonderful um, character moment for for Adira to come out there and, and with that confidence. And we see that the character has changed and is more confident and has, you know, earned their place on the uh, as, as a part of the Trill community. <laughs> so I just thought all oh, that was great. Does anybody else have any comments on that? For me? And that's where I have a problem with Ezreal Diaz mind. Like, <laughs> <laughs> when trills are joined, like that's hundreds of years of memories and experience and knowledge. How can you not be confident in when you speak and when you move and when you give give opinions like that confidence? It just has to be there. And I'm thinking Ezri has probably at the time the most the oldest symbiont alive that we know of. Like and it's. Curzon Dax, he's like been he's been mediators in great wars, and Ezra is just walking around like he's still a child. Yeah, like it's just a waste of a symbiote. So I was happy to see that again. I keep saying Adira reminded me of Ezra, like she really did. And then once she get emerges from the pool, and she has that confidence, like you said, it changes, and not really, not a lot. Like it's not noticeable, but like you said, it's that confidence that. That just that was kind of like a fist pump in the air type deal for me. Yeah, yeah, totally agreed. Now going back to what Cal mentioned when they were playing that um, what is it called? What's the big bass or whatever? What is the flute? Cello. Uh, what, cello. Cello. Help me out here. When she was playing that cello, um, you know it again. I go back to being in people's head and i definitely had a mr robot moment there because <laughs> you have the character there that that they're conversing with and talking to but the character is not really there you know it might make for some interesting interesting scenes on down the line but to me that was like almost equivalent of what they did last season with uh tilly's friend so i don't know if i'm really into that but but we'll see how it goes well there's an explanation for this clarence if you can remember a ds9 episode Hmm. Uh, so there was an episode on DS9 where there was this people were being shot and killed on the station and they were being shot with actual physical bullets fired from this experimental rifle but the bullets were being transported into spaces and then killing people well Esri was charged with trying to figure out who it was so she performed what they call a rite of emergence, which Ooh. she brought. There was one previous host, Dax host, that 
all the other hosts kind of just chose to block out because he really shouldn't have had a symbiont. He kind of stole it. But it was Duran. He was like a murderer and an evil person, but he was very gifted in music. Yeah, by the way. Equal, Equilibrium, I think, was the, was the episode when they explained uh, that character. Yeah, yeah. So that Duran, when she did this rite of emergence, Duran actually became, from Esri's eyes, a physical presence to her. Nobody else could see him. Interesting. I don't remember but that. Throughout, Throughout the episode, he was with her and he helped her kind of touch into her murderous side so she could understand what this guy was thinking and what he was seeing so they could find him. Hmm. Now, we don't know if Adira went through this. Well, I mean, we didn't see her go through that ritual. It was like a ritual. They Ezra had to look in the mirror and light some incense and say some <laughs> words. But <laughs> <laughs> that, that almost sounds like, uh, was it Jane, the, um, the Doom Patrol character, Cal? Yeah, 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 Jane, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because she kind of like calls up the the different characters when she needs their powers. But, you know, yeah, that's that's a good reference. John. I I didn't remember that at all, (laughs) but it will be interesting to see if she's if if she's able to call up different versions of of her past lives and and use that as an advantage in a particular situation. I'm down for that. I mean, it, it can be done if they want to. I don't, I don't know how she accidentally did it, but it, it, you know, there's another episode when Jadzia had to kind of go through her previous host to learn them better. So she had all of her friends become each host so yeah. she could interact with them. Yeah. And maybe since she's human, since, since Adira is human, maybe they can explain it off as a reason why they're emerging. Maybe. Uh, probably good up good point good point hmm. all right guys well i am through my notes so i'm gonna throw it to you guys to see if you have any other thing in this episode that i did not bring up that you want to bring up real quick before you end things off um, not really I, I i did want to mention it was good that they kept in line you know the guardian z or whatever his name is yeah so if you remember equilibrium they when they met the guardians like the guardians sole purpose is to guard the symbionts and their well-being of the symbiont is all they care about yeah so it was fitting that this guy was the sympathetic uh trio to help him because i mean his only goal is to keep the symbionts alive and keep them going so yeah that was a good tie-in and i think the guardians do not get symbiotes i don't know if that's changed no they do not yeah, I don't know if it's changed, but they do. They do not. Interesting stuff, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I, overall, I really enjoyed this episode. So we're going to do the thing we do after every episode, go around the horn and get everybody's ratings for the episode. And John, Jeremy, well, let me start with Jeremy. Jeremy, what do you think, man? I I know you, you had some qualms with this episode. So what is your rating, dude? <laughs> I, I still like the episode, so I'm, I'm going to give it a 3.5. Um, like, like previous episode, I think we needed it to get to the next episode. But um, you can't say that every episode, man. <laughs> well, I don't, but, but it, you know, this progresses the story. You know, tells us what we need to, for the story, so we don't miss anything. It just wasn't wasn't to me a strong episode. I'm going to give it a 3.5. Fair enough. Ooh. Jonathan, what do you think, man? Ah, uh, man, I'm going back and forth on this, so. I've been a strong five on the previous episodes. And like I've said, previous episodes, I have to base it on my, you know, is it better or worse than the one I gave a five? Uh, 
like I really want to give this a five because it was so good, but it was good for different reasons. Uh, so I'm going to say this. I'll pick out some parts. The dinner scene I could have done without, although I really love the result. Um, and the fact that, again, I, it was a slower episode. It stayed in one place, like you said, a little too long in areas and scenes. Uh, but again, that made a, a, it was a welcome pace. But if I compare it to my other episodes, that kind of gave that kind of changed it for me. Uh, so I'll go for four point seven five. Nice. Nice. Cal Jones. So I'm going to reverse what Jonathan said. I could have done without the trill section, you know, that that part of the story and dealt more with the characters. But I'm going to give it a 3.75. I think there were other episodes that were better. I enjoyed this, but I can't give it that high. I, but I can give it a 3.75. Yeah. And as for me, I'm going to give it a 4.25. Um I thought all the trill stuff was really strong. Uh, maybe my biggest gripe with the episode was the pace was a little bit off, but I do think all the trill stuff was, was strong and all the uh, character st- stuff. I, I think the character things in the episode I thought were really st- strong as well. And, and and I thought the, the performance by blue Del Barrio, Adira's uh, the actor behind Adira. I thought about thought that performance was really, really good. And like John said, less annoying, less annoying in this episode, maybe. And, you know, I think uh, uh, um, Hugh Colber, what's the actor's name? I can't remember. Um, wow. Yeah. 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 Wilson, 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 Cruz. Wilson Cruz is Hugh Colber. He was he was awesome. He carried for the discovery portions of the episode. He carried a lot of it. Then I think Saru carried the rest. And then you had all of these great interactions between each of the characters that, you know, Got us a little bit closer to them and, and, you know, made for a pretty memorable episode, I think. And dealing with some some very, you know, dark issues of, you know, where they sit in the world and trying to be connected to something. I mean, I'm sure we all we've all had those moments of of reflection when we're, we're thinking similar thoughts. So, yeah, all of that was great to me. And yeah, four point two five. So uh, let's go around the horn and see what everybody has been working on, watching, listening to. What are you into lately? Um, podcast related or otherwise? Jeremy, what about you, man? Um, I'm still watching The Crown, getting ready for the uh, new season to come out. And that's really it. <laughs> awesome sauce. Awesome sauce. What about you, John? Uh, well, it's been a very hectic few weeks. So I've been at work a lot. Hadn't really had a lot of time to do much of anything. So I'm still watching DS9, of course. Um, and I've just kind of gone down a rabbit hole of social media and all that, which I mentioned last week. I actually watched The Social Dilemma, which is a documentary on Netflix, um, made by Tristan Harris, which is a tech insider. Uh, very much advise everybody to watch that, get insight on it. I know, Clarence, you probably know a lot of it because you're in the tech world, but for those who are not in the tech world, it's a very enlightening documentary. So definitely should watch that. Awesome sauce. What about you, Cal Jones? Well, since I keep mentioning Doctor Who, I think it's only appropriate for me to say, if you're a fan of Doctor Who, check out our other podcast, Discussing Who, at DiscussingWho.com. What about you? Uh, same thing. I'm going to say check out Discussing Who, and also just go to DiscussingNetwork.com to check out 
all other podcasts that we that are under the Discussing Network umbrella. So if you're into comics, tech, uh, Doctor Who, and of course Trek, you can go there to get each of the podcasts that we actually produce for the network. So that's it, guys. Um, again, if you want to send in feedback, you can send that into fans at discussingtrek.com or hit us up at Discussing Trek on any and all social medias. Until next time, guys, live longer, prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. Hey guys, it's Sergio from Reality Breached. We've got a bunch of different podcasts over on our network at realitybreached.com, and one of my favorites is Shellheads, a TMNT podcast. Shellheads is a deep dive into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in ways you've never heard before. From the early comic days to the current Nick show, nothing is off limits. Jeff from the Warp Zone Arcade joins me to binge watch and power read through a comprehensive library of TMNT fandom. Check Shellheads out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For more details, visit realitybreached.com. Discussing Network.